Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the Strong AF X Well Condition Show with your host, Jason Brown, where each week Jason teaches you how to get yourself and your clients brutally strong and, of course, well conditioned. What's up, everyone? Jason here for another episode of Strong AF X Well Condition. Thank you for joining me back. Today, we are talking about not having abs unless you flex. This was me. This still is me on on some levels. And, uh, you know, I I hate to admit it, but it's it's somewhat of a pain point, right? I mean, I think no matter what you're dealing with in the fitness space, uh, whether it's, you know, maybe you you don't you're not at the ideal body weight or uh, you don't have the amount of muscle mass or maybe it's more related to performance. I think uh, if we if we talk about just like pain points that most people experience, it, it usually comes down to more of the image, right? What we see in the mirror and what people are seeing when we are in our, our bathing suit at the beach. And I think, you know, for myself personally, um, you know, growing up, I was always I was always relatively lean. It wasn't super hard for me to um, to have abs. I, I, I had abs, um, you know, better part of my life. But what I found, like probably many of you have experienced, many of the guys out there, is that the cycle of trying to gain mass, for me, it was always about the weight on the scale. Like I, I just wanted to be heavier. I always wanted to be like over 200 pounds and I'm not a tall guy. I'm only five foot nine, but, um, you know, playing, playing football, I always wanted to be heavier. Um, so I would, I would eat like an absolute savage, you know, in my late teens, early twenties, I ate just disgusting amounts of food and I would go out to eat and I would be getting a meal after my meal ready, like, uh, ordering a meal to go before I left, the restaurant and this was this wasn't uh, a nice restaurant this was somewhere like outback steakhouse if you're familiar i would be getting a meal ready to eat <clears throat> upon leaving there and when i got home so it was just this kind of disgusting process i look back now just the way i ate and just my lack of knowledge as far as nutrition is concerned but it was more related to just putting on size and getting as big as possible and um you know, seeing that carry over to the field of play, I mean, that's that's uh, was was more relevant to me at the time. Now, I was lucky to be pretty strong and stocky, and I was able to to get strong um, quickly. So, to myself, it always appeared like I had abs. I always, uh, even as 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 my body fat percentage went up with that ridiculous amount of eating I was doing, I still had abs. But I didn't realize until one day, um, my girlfriend at the time took a picture of me at the beach, and I think I was. I think I was 19 and I remember seeing that picture and I was like, holy, holy crap. I, 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 my stomach does not look like it does to me. When I look at my stomach, I look in the mirror. I don't see what I'm actually seeing in this picture. So that for me was like, I flipped a switch. It was like, I, I want to look more shredded. I want to try to keep the, just the maximum amount of muscle, but be as lean as possible too. And, um, you know, that's obviously the holy grail is, is trying to do both. And it's, it's very hard to do both. And, and what I saw at the time, I think I was, I was weighing right around, uh, 200, 200 205 pounds. And again, I was, I was, uh, very thick, but I was not lean by any stretch of the imagination. I think I was probably around 15 or 16% body fat. But what I saw was that it was time to be serious with my nutrition and, um, that meant going from, you know, 15 to 16% body fat down to sub 10, nine, 8% body fat. I got down as low, actually as low as, uh, just under six at my, my leanest. But of course the cost of doing that was, you know, dropping down from 200 pounds to 175 pounds. 
And that's that's just the kind of the, the vicious cycle. So for me, I found that, that that sweet spot was kind of like 10 to 11% body fat where I could maintain a, a decent amount of size, um, but still be relatively lean. Now, as time has passed, um, I, you know, it's it's gotten harder, right? It gets harder as you get older. That's just the nature of the beast. Hormone levels drop. Um, you know, obviously stress factors in, you know, your ability to, to focus on your nutrition. I don't even think my, my training is a non-factor for me. It's, it's, it's something that I'm going to do no matter what. I will never miss my training sessions. Almost never. (laughs) I can count on one hand how many sessions I've missed. Actually, I don't even know if I can do that. I can't think of any sessions I've missed in like the last five years that weren't planned, uh, times away from the gym. So that's a non-negotiable for me. But the nutrition gets very, very tricky, especially on the weekends. And I, I've actually came to a turning point this uh, this year where I said, okay, it's time to stop being a fucking bitch about my eating, stop making excuses, and to get with the program and start hitting my macros. And you know, not I'm not starving myself. I'm not I'm not depriving myself in any way. But I'm being very consistent, and that includes Saturday and Sunday. And that's been a, a huge difference maker for me. So just uh, to kind of just bring you back to early on. So I went from being bulky um, and cutting down and then trying to find kind of the middle ground because I was still in college at the time. I was playing football um, and I was a running back. So I, you know, I wanted to maintain some, you know, level of size, but still be relatively lean. And I found that I could sit right around like 190 pounds and still be pretty lean. So it wasn't 175 pounds. It wasn't 205 pounds, but it was kind of right in that sweet spot where I could I could get the best of both worlds. Now, during that time, um, you know, having abs without flexing, you know, it's still one of those things where the way I'm built, I have more of a distended distended abdominals. I have more of a anterior pelvic tilt. I've done a lot of Olympic lifting, a lot of power lifting, a lot of things that predispose me to just having a build the way I do. And then obviously the genetic factor of just being um, built the way I am. I tend to have a bigger gut. Now, even when I had a bigger gut, I still had abs. And it's funny, even my my mother, who I, I, I'm built exactly like my mother, she had abs even when she was pregnant. So it's uh, funny, you know, it's, it's just I look at my parents, the way they're built, I'm, I'm clearly built like my mother, but she um, has always had abs and even with more of a distended uh, midsection. So it's made it harder for me to to have abs without sucking your gut in to some extent. Now, I don't have to sit here flexing like I'm going to take a poop, but there, there definitely needs to be some pulling in, if you will. If I'm being completely honest with you guys, if I'm going to um, if I'm going to the lake and, you know, I'm around a pool and there's a lot of people there, like I don't want to let my stomach hang out as much as I probably could if I just didn't give a fuck, which, um, you know, I don't know if I want to be at that place, to be honest. I don't want to just not give a fuck. Uh, it's, it's definitely been harder. Even at my leanest times, it's still been harder. Now, the thing that I know now that I didn't know back then was a lot more as far as biomechanics is a lot more as far as just, um, you know, the exercise selection, the way I'm training, what I'm prioritizing in my training. And I'm going in a direction now where I'm still not quite there, but I'm getting closer. And I see the writing on the wall. I see the changes that are taking place, you know, by, by looking at myself in pictures, not just necessarily what I'm seeing in the mirror and, um, the changes are starting to happen. So hopefully, um, by the time you guys hear this, um, there's already been more changes because I'm now like actually in a cut where my calories are in a deficit and I'm definitely more hungry. And I'm starting to see that each, each passing day, I'm a little bit, 
uh, it's a little bit more noticeable that my my midsection is getting flatter. So let's talk about the strategy. How are we doing this? Well, first and foremost, as I mentioned, my training history is one that is very heavily dominant with bilateral work, squatting, pressing, deadlifting, and Olympic lifting. I did a ton of Olympic lifting. You wouldn't know it now because I, when I talk about Olympic lifting, it's not usually in the most positive light. It's usually one of those things I, I talk about as being just not a great return on investment. And it's not something I, I program for any service of programming that I sell or any one-on-one clients. Um, I only have like maybe I think one or two clients that we use uh, some Olympic lifting, but for the most part, you're not going to see that occasional power clean or hang power clean, but, but that's really the extent of it. So um, that's one of those things I did a ton of throughout my twenties. And in, even in my early thirties, ton of Olympic lifting. And um, you know, those are things I don't do anymore. Now, right now, current day, I'm 40 years old. I just turned 40 this past January and uh, it is May of 2023. I have taken a, a radical change to my own programming. And, and sometimes you need a radical change to really move the needle. Uh, the same tenets of the way I've been training as far as full body are concerned, prioritizing the foundational movement patterns is still there. Aerobic conditioning still there. But so there are a few different ways I'm doing this. Um, now, and this, I might come back to you and say that this was, this didn't work the way I wanted it to, but I, I, I think I'm on to something uh, pretty unique here. So instead of squatting, or hinging. So front squatting, for me, the, this the go-tos are front squat and trap bar deadlift for those two things. And um, it, it really is that simple for me at this stage of where I'm at with programming. I I actually don't box squat a whole lot anymore. I don't do anything with a ton of spinal compression. So, so you know, minimal back squatting. I probably back squat with a safety squat bar maybe once or twice a year. And even when I do, to be honest, it doesn't feel great. I, I never walk away feeling like, oh, I felt good. You know those sessions where you walk away, you're like, oh, I felt good. I don't get that with back squatting. So, you know, it would be, it's really kind of asinine of me to keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result. So th that's one of those things I probably should just remove completely. Um, and, and, you know, I don't know if I will or I won't, but at this stage of the game right now, I'm not squatting uh, and I'm not uh, doing any bilateral, you know, any conventional or trap bar. For me, a big trap bar deadlifts or even an RDL. I'm not even doing an RDL with a trap bar. So first and foremost, um, you know, if we think about just what that means, well, obviously there is huge benefits to using bilateral movements. We don't have to debate about that at all. We know that uh, hypertrophy is largely based on mechanical tension. We get that through bilateral work with some heavier loads, uh, you know, heavy three to six range, all well and good. Doesn't work for me right now. I always leave feeling worse off. So <clears throat> if you feel worse off, then do you have to ask why? Well, well is it is it because inherently those are good patterns and most people should do them. I would agree that I have most people using those patterns. Uh, for me specifically, one of the problems I have as a coach is that I get wrapped up a lot of times in what I have other people doing, like uh, on Team Evolve or Team CXC. I'll get wrapped up and I'll sometimes, you know, just follow that programming. And I always forget that I am my own person and that, you know, there are certain things I probably should just remove. So, so um, training heavy squats and heavy hinges bilaterally right now is just not working for me. I've, I've had, um, you know, just a few sessions I've come away from this year that I haven't felt great as far as my lower back is concerned. I've also had a few neck issues, which I wouldn't directly relate to that, but you know, one thing is, is everything there. Everything is connected, right? So there's no, there's no things that are just in isolation. Um, there are downstream effects to these things. So the experiment I've been trying is replacing my hinging, my heavy hinging and squatting 
with sprinting. Now, I do it two ways. I do it on a hill, which I have access to a hill. My driveway is a hill. Uh, leading up to my house, there's a very steep portion of my hill. Uh, and it's, I'm looking out the window right now, it's uh, about 50 to 60 yards. All right. So, you know, we're talking very much, it's going to be very anaerobic, depending on the rest intervals, very anaerobic. Um, you know, you could probably classify it as ATP, PC, power work. And, um, you know, I'm not resting long enough, so it probably falls into more capacity. I am doing it for more strength and, um, you know, just obviously the development of, of my lower body. So all well and good, right? So I use the hill because flat ground sprinting is something I would build to over time. Um, I would, I would have a progression leading up to that. But for right now, I am, I am in, you know, the beginning stages of just using the hill. Now, my other form of sprinting comes by using an empty sled. I push it in my driveway. It's only 50 feet. Must, must, might not sound like much, but you do eight to 10 sets of 50 foot max effort. I am talking nothing in the tank. All up. You will be surprised. I guarantee you. Now, if you don't have access to a sled, a sled to push, you could try um, a free motion treadmill. You could try an air bike. Air bike's not going to be the same. It's not as global, but um, there are certainly things that you can do. What I have learned so far is that, and I'm only a month into this, is that my back is starting to feel better. Um, I am seeing that there is some serious value to going. 100%. Well, big surprise, right? You're probably like, yeah, no shit, Jason. There's value to going 100%. I am talking 100%. I, I don't do that with my hill sprint. Just for the record, before you guys go out there and start programming this for yourselves, the hill sprint is very progressive. I am starting at, you know, 60 to 70%, and I am ramping up over the course of six to eight sets. I am ramping up to around 90%. So I'm not going fully all out. Now, the sled split, a uh, sled push sprint on the other hand is a maximal effort sled sprint all out i am resting 90 seconds to two minutes you need the full recovery for that and again you're like well it's only 50 feet do it and get back to me <laughs> so that is the first portion of my two uh two of my full body sessions now my other full body session is more of a, a circuit-based full body session more of metabolic conditioning um so i'm still training my single leg I'm training, uh, you know, a lot of hip extension. I'm doing back raises. I'm just still doing glute ham raises. I'm still doing um, various single leg variations like uh, split squat variations, rear foot the split squat, front foot elevated, uh, lateral squat. And, um, you know, th that stuff is still a mainstay in my programming. So there is plenty of lower body work outside of just the sprinting. Now, I, I will use that as the main lift of the day. It's not done in a circuit. It is done in isolation. So that would be like number one. And then my remaining four movements of the day will be press, uh, will be a press, usually a single leg or a hinge, um, will be an upper pull, <clears throat> and then some type of core movement. Okay, so let's just give you kind of a rough idea. But remember, the sprinting is done on its own with, with longer bouts of recovery between sets. Now, my other piece of this is that I am doing more running. Running is one of those things that... If you're not great at it, I wouldn't recommend doing a, a, a fair amount of it. I would I would recommend that you build up to it. Now, running, we know, can break people down. Um, so for myself personally, I've got some mass to lose. So running is one of those things where I can get some great aerobic work. And I'm, I'm running on an air runner, by the way, uh, which I actually just purchased. I had one before. I got rid of it. I regretted it. I purchased another one. Now I've got my air runner. I'm still using my air bike and ski rig, but I am progressively building up my running tolerance 
And that is something that if you want to lose muscle, running will certainly help you do that. Now, how much muscle you lose, it's really up to you and how long you're going to, you know, prescribe running. I'm not losing a ton yet. But remember, the goal for me is to have, you know, I would say change my build, but to somewhat alter my build a little bit. I'd like to remove some mass from my lats. I'd like to remove some mass from my midsection. So heavy bilateral squatting, Olympic lifting, things like that, not going to help. Um, but what I'm currently doing is working. Now, the biggest piece of this puzzle is the macro approach. I follow, if it fits your macros, I follow my macros seven days per week. And right now, those macros are are different than what they were, say, eight weeks ago. But right now, I'm hitting, uh, you know, just just for, for you guys to have a reference point, roughly 60 grams of fat per day, roughly 260 grams of carbs per day, and roughly 200 grams of protein to, per day. Um, the fat for me, fat intake for me, the lower, when I keep my fat intake lower, I notice a big difference. When I keep my carbohydrate higher, I notice, um, you know, in relationship to my fat, if I keep a higher amount of carbohydrates and a lower amount of fat, it, that works really well for you. I'm not telling you to do that. So just know that everything I'm, I'm talking about here is very much individual to me. But if we just come back to how this can work for you, if you're someone like me that has a long history of lifting heavy, not only would it be beneficial for your body to maybe lay off for a bit, but it might be beneficial to you to, you know, maybe try a different approach for a while. I, I've seen several um, coaches that have done this uh, that are older than me and have, you know, come away with great results. Um, so, you know, still train the foundational movement patterns. You can train a single leg very hard and get great results. Um, and that's what I'm doing right now. I'm still hitting my single leg work very hard. I'm still using uh, my GHD for glute ham raises. I'm just not squatting or hinging heavy. And that's, that, that's, you know, really one of those things that I think is going to make the difference. But at the end of the day, your nutrition has to support what you're doing. Um, and, you know, if you're trying to get lean, trying to cut, I would do maintenance, your maintenance calories for at least a while. Figure out what your maintenance calories are. Roll on that for a bit. Be compliant with your macros seven days per week. I even track on the weekends. I know you might think, well, shit, I don't have time on the weekends. It's not that hard. <laughs> Anyone says they don't have time. It's not that hard to track your macros. It takes literally five minutes, especially after you've used something like MyFitnessPal for a few weeks time. You'll have it figured out pretty quickly that you can duplicate a lot of the stuff that you ate the previous day. It literally takes me five minutes a day. If you don't have five minutes a day, then you're not serious about your training and you're not serious about, you know, having abs without flexing. So that's my strategy, guys. Pretty, pretty straightforward. Um, as I said, my disclaimer would be don't go implement anything that I said unless, you know, you know, you're willing to to build yourself up. Sprinting is one of those things I do not program for the masses. It's an individual thing. Um, if you have a hill and you want to progressively build yourself up, if you want to try like empty sled push sprint, I would say just about anyone can do and benefit from. And there's a lot less risk of, you know, having some type of overuse injury with that. I will say, though, going all out effort, you're going to have a new level of soreness. I know I was very sore on my hip flexors uh, the first time that I did that. And I was actually really surprised. Like, wow, I can't believe how sore I am from this. So, you know, just take everything I'm saying with a grain of salt. But at the end of the day. You know, if if you can, if you are feeling out of alignment or you're feeling like things are just not like jiving for you or where you're at or where you're looking to go, then it might be time to make that change. And sometimes that change can come by way of just some small things where 
you know that a movement pattern flares you up, don't do it anymore. It's that simple. Don't do that fucking movement anymore if it flares you up. Conventional deadlift, I see anytime I have um, conventional deadlifts on any of my programming services, I invariably have people say, oh, my back feels like shit. Well, guess what? Don't do that move anymore. Buy a goddamn trap bar. They're 200 bucks on Amazon for what is 200 bucks when it saves your lower back. It keeps you feeling good. It keeps your trainability higher. Um, no one wants to be hurt. And I think that that is what it's all about is making sure that you are training as it meets you. Now you can take anything I put out and alter it where you, again, if there's a straight bar deadlift, you alter it to a trap bar. If there is a back squat, you alter it to a front squat. I mean, these are very small changes that you can make that will, that will, will take you the distance. Now, um, just as a final point here, I'm not saying that I'm probably never going to do that stuff again, but this is an experiment. And, and like anything, you know, sometimes experiments go well, sometimes they don't. I might be telling you guys in, you know, a few months from now that, uh, wow, it didn't go well. And I abandoned that experiment and I went back to, you know, doing uh, trap bar deadlifting and front squatting. Um, I love both of those movements, by the way, for my clients, for uh, my subscriptions, r huge return on investment for, for both of those patterns, uh, assuming you don't have any pre-existing issues. So, um, you know, take, take it with a grain of salt, but at anything that you can change, the first thing I would do is start hitting your numbers, start tracking your calories, hit them seven days a week. Don't fall off on the weekend because you got to go to a barbecue. That's not an excuse. And if you do fall off on the weekend, if you are over 35 years of age, you fall off on the weekend, it will affect you. You will not look like you train. Just, you know, set your watch. It's, it will happen. You will eventually get to the point, unless you're genetically gifted, which most are not, you will get to a point where you don't look like you train, even though you're putting in the hard work in the gym. So guys, that's my story. Hope it helps. And we will see you on the next show. This was another episode of Strong AF X Well Conditioned Show. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes. And be sure to subscribe on all podcast platforms. 